for the teaching time. Um, we are going to spend a little bit of time watching a video. It'll be a short video up front. Uh, and then in light of that, we're going to have several different dialogue questions that we'll answer in little pockets. Um, the hope is that tonight we come away a little bit more equipped to walk in a way of joy. And so for that to take root, to that to take uh, maybe effect, we're going to be speaking to one another. We're going to be looking at scripture together. Uh, it's not just going to be a 45-minute talk at you and hoping you a little bit trickle in. But the hope is really that as we look at scripture together, the spirit prompts something that does sink a little bit deeper. Because as we look at joy over this particular season, um, it's not the only season that's joyful. It gets its own special font, though, like with Christmas cards and everything else. Joy uh, going on the front of any card right now looks in green and red or glitter as if it were something that only comes around once a year. Uh, but joy is a way of life for the follower of Jesus. And so it's part of how we model our life after Jesus. Hebrews would say that it was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross. Uh, in Nehemiah, it would say that the joy of the Lord is our strength, that as we lean into the joy that God has, that's where we derive our strength. Uh, the call to joy throughout Scripture is not dependent on circumstances as dire or as dangerous, as dismal as they may be. Uh, the circumstances that we find ourselves in do not determine our joy. And so it can be really, really convoluted because on one hand, we think of joy, and if you close your eyes, what, what emotion goes with joy is a smile, right? And then you think about dangerous or difficult circumstances that you might be in right now, and you're like, the last thing I want to do is smile. Does that mean I don't have joy? Uh, there's a reality that Paul holds together both joy and mourning in the same time, in the same space, which means that they don't cancel each other out. And so somehow they can both exist mourning and loss, but still joy in what's to come. And so rather than me give you a word study on this, I'm just going to lean into what they did on the Bible Project uh, for uh, Tim Mackey. You guys may recognize the voice. There's no credits on there, I don't think. Um, but that's who it is. It's the Bible Project's voice just doing a word study of joy. And so that's going to come up when Angela hits play. Uh, and then we'll have a few questions coming out of it. So enjoy your animation. Being in... Um, yeah, as we look uh, and take a, just a brief snapshot saying, what exactly does joy look like for us? Uh, this quote that he had in there, biblical joy is more than a happy feeling. It's a lasting emotion that comes from the choice to trust that God will fulfill his promises. Uh, this, this push, and that's the big idea if you want to take it, uh, this is what we're just going to use for a a definition or a snapshot of what joy is. So as we talk about it, it's not the hallmark uh, smile that you might have to plaster on your face. Uh, it's not tinsel and glitter and snowflakes and every happy thing finally happening in one moment and that lasting like a unicorn kiss of peppermint for the rest of your life. Uh, it is an ability to make a choice to lean into the reality that God's going to do what he said he would do. And I will tell you this from the jump, that takes active work sometimes. Like we have to manually remember this sometimes. It's not just a byproduct that happens because you happen to sit with your Bible open or you happen to be a follower of Jesus already that this just comes. But it's something that we learn we have to lean into. And so in the full Christmas theme of things, though, there's something that there's some things that look to rob us of that joy. So worse than the Grinch who steals presents and trees and tries to steal Christmas joy, uh, there's things in our lives that rampantly 
and regularly try to rob us of joy. That would capture the same parts of our affections that were meant to cause us to rely wholeheartedly in what Jesus would do and cause some joy to come up from that because we remember and reflect and reorient of what Jesus has done, what he will do, and that causes us to be able to breathe deep and recognize that even in difficult circumstances, there's still joy to be had. Like Jesus is still at work and he still will accomplish everything he said he would. And so the three that I jotted down, and if you want to come up with your own fourth, it just has to start with a C, but you're welcome to do it for your own dialogue. The first thief of joy would be comparison. So a thief that wants to rob us of joy or rob us of being able to reflect on Jesus and the promises he's made and look with expectation that it will come true is when we look at other people and say, man, if only I had that, then I would be able to be joyful. If only I had that marriage, that house, that car, that dog, that set of skills, that ability to understand things at school, that human, inter- like whatever it is, when we look at someone else and say, if only I had that, then my life would be complete. That sense of comparison will always rob us of joy. Always. Second, consumerism or a draw to always need to say you're not enough. What you actually need is to consume more, whether it's experiences or relationships or stuff or entertainment. There's something in me that's lacking. What God has given me and what he's promised are not enough. And this insatiable drive to always need more, again, will always rob us of joy. A very few people will exit this Christmas season happier because of what they got two days after Christmas than they were two days before Christmas. Like, that's not the bar for what joy is. Uh, we see that true with our kids when we buy them presents and two days later, they're not even paying attention to them anymore. And we're like, you spent hours looking for the perfect gift and they like the box more than the actual gift. Young parents know what that's like. Like you just spent all that time, followed all those ads, did everything you could do in your research and kids like the box more than the present. Joy is more than the stuff. And the last thing, and this might be a a fruit, uh, but we're just gonna say it anyway because I'm gonna put it in there. Uh, Complaining. Uh, What robs us of joy is complaining. When we begin to give voice to those feelings of God is not enough, has not done enough, will not come through on what he promised, and we begin to give voice like the Israelites did in the wilderness, saying, God, this is your fault. You've put us in this circumstance. You've left us here. You've abandoned us. And you're not enough for us in the midst of all of this. That complaining that wells up acts as a spin cycle on a toilet that will just suck you down. Sorry for the little grotesque picture, but it's true. It's like hitting flush and then the toilet cycles down when we start complaining. Very little, uh, if ever anything good, comes out of complaining. And so I want you to to find a little pocket of people. Um, Maybe you guys split into two groups uh, just for the sake of dialogue, but you guys can kind of huddle around together. Uh, Where did you see these joy thieves this week? So think back in your engagements. It could have been something that you saw, something that you personally felt threatened by. It could have been an advertisement stream that you saw. All of our inboxes are filling. All of our Instagram feeds are filling with uh, these very things. So where did you see... These joy thieves at work this week, either in you or around you. Uh, Take about two, three minutes, answer that, and I'll pull you back at that point. Ready, set, go. 
go. Uh, just so you know, right about this time of year, your Instagram feed, if you have that, your TikTok feed, probably, I don't have that, uh, your Facebook feed, any sort of advertisement, if you have Hulu, uh, if you have anything that has a subscription base to it, they are all paying billions of dollars to work in any of these for you to make you feel discontent with what you have or who you are. They are pressing on, if you consume this, you'll be better just as a human. And so whatever their product is, they push. Uh, you will see that it is made to base on the conversation around the table, turning into what I don't have instead of in light of all that I do have. And an overall sense of not enough or inability to provide is meant to prompt you to purchase new things. That is how advertising works. Uh, second thing to recognize, too, is that each of these play out in personal, so I and how I approach life, but also communal. Uh, when we look and we compare ourselves, so using the plural, to another community, and this can be true in your missional community, this could be true as a church, this could be true in your family unit. When you look at others and you're comparing and saying, they seem like they have more of blank, that's why they're able to blank. Or if God had given me what he'd given them, then I would be able to follow them. And it becomes this comparison game that absolutely cripples our witness for Jesus and our joy. Or consumerism, there's experiences that others get that I don't get, whether they're with God or together as a church. And if God would have given me those experiences, then I too would be able to follow him and I would have a ton of joy, but he's withheld them for me, not given me enough. And so I don't have joy. Or that complaining. Uh, God literally in the Old Testament had some of his harshest words for the sin of complaining as Israel wandered in the wilderness a giving voice to the claims that God was not enough. All throughout your Old Testament, some of the harshest words were given towards that. And so the question, part of what we want to wrestle with tonight is how do we curate lives and communities of joy? Like how do we lean into the story in such a way that maybe there's a few practices we can put on to live in the hope and the life and the joy that Jesus came to give? When Jesus showed up on the scene, the angels announced to the shepherds, this is good news of great joy, which should be for all people. We're wrapped up in that. Because of Jesus, we are and can be a people of joy. So I'm going to have you look at one of these two passages. Isaiah 49, 13. Uh, that'll be this half, because you guys broke up that way. So Isaiah 49, 13, and Isaiah 51, 11. Isaiah 51, 11 on this side. And you're going to answer this question into the mic. Pick your spokesperson. What does Isaiah tell us about God's character in these passages? What does God's character, what does it say about God's character in these passages? Uh, and it's one verse each, so it's not going to take a long time. But go ahead and read it and try honing it in. What do you see about God's character in those passages? And then I'll pull us back together. Again. All right, I'm going to trust that somebody in your crew. Well, you had one verse. That was like four minutes on one verse. I'm going to trust that somebody else on your side has thought of it. These guys got their hand up, so that'll teach you from reading like every translation there is. I don't know what to, I don't know what to tell you. I feel like I have a timer set, and that was four minutes for one verse. So um, you guys can learn and glean from the others around you. Uh, yeah, in Isaiah, the first one, 49, 13. What does Isaiah say about God's character in that passage? Kenzie's got the mic for you. 
the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. Nailed it. See, that was three seconds of reading the verse. And then what would you say in reading that? What would you say are some of the characteristics that you saw? Uh, you did a great job. Thank you for reading. Uh, two things he said, the God has comforted his people. And what was the second? You again? You'll, we'll figure it out. The recording's really going to love that. People are going to have their AirPods on and just like die. Um, and then as compassion, uh, God's orientation towards his people, one of comfort and compassion. Yeah, how about in the other Isaiah text, 5111? You guys can answer. You guys did the same one. Nick's going to take a stab at it. He has that look in his eye. Go ahead and answer it. Did it die? Is that what happened? We're back. There it is. Um, so in Isaiah 51, um, there's this idea that God is a rescuer. Um, it's like he brings people. Use your teacher voice. Go ahead and shout it out. So what does Isaiah say? We give up. Yeah, there's a, there's a rescue that takes place, and the result of that rescue is that joy overtakes the people. And so you can see why uh, John the baptizer, when he's in jail, is sitting in jail, and he's looking going like, hold on a second. I thought when the Messiah came, there was supposed to be a rescue, and then the result of that rescue is that joy was everywhere, but I'm stuck in jail. There's no way. So when Kay read that text, that's some of the connector piece for that is like, how in the world can there be joy even while I'm in jail? Like, that doesn't make sense. There was supposed to be a different sort of turn of events that took place at this particular point in time. I'm just collecting mics up here. Don't worry about me. I don't even have to do them all. And so what the invitation is, the overlap of these two periods where one, where there was the old order, where it was marked by death and destruction, and this new order that's marked by life and joy and hope because of Jesus, uh, that in the midst of that, we experience both simultaneously. And so uh, joy can persist in the harshest of circumstances because it depends on God and his promises, not necessarily our temperamental response to the immediate thing we're in in this moment. And so as we lean into this and we ask the question or even uh, persist in coming forward and say, like, how do we do that then? Uh, there's a few clues that are littered throughout the entire New Testament. Uh, we're just going to look at three different passages, uh, one, two, three. So if you guys could just pick your one translation, that would be amazing. <laughs> the rest of us are using NIV, so that'd be helpful. But you guys get Matthew 5, 11 through 12. Uh, you guys have Acts 13, 50 through 52, and you have Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. And so if you're reading that with the eyes as a detective or investigator saying, all right, so if I'm looking for a clue here or a hint, how can God sustain joy through dire or difficult circumstances? What is something that that text might tell you would be a hint, a clue, or a resource for you as you lean into joy, even while sorrow exists? 
While we live waiting for the day when every tear is finally wiped from every eye at the second coming of Jesus, but we live with the hope that Jesus has actually done something in his life and his death and his resurrection at his first coming. Uh, remember, we live between those two comings of Jesus, and we ask the question, how do we faithfully take up our role in God's story in the midst? And so these verses will give us some hints. I'm going to give us a few more minutes to look at that uh, and try to get a mic situation worked out because not everybody has a teacher voice, or you can just shout out answers. So I know you do, Owen, it's true. Um, so go ahead, turn towards each other. In your text, what specific truths about God could sustain through dire or difficult circumstances? Ready? Go. We're going to work our way from left to right. And uh, what I'd love for you to do is if one person in your crew could read your passage from one particular translation, would be amazing. Um, and so if you'll read that passage and then say, well, I didn't even look at you. I wasn't talking about you. I was looking over here. Uh, and then pick the text and then say what, just give the summary of what your group maybe talked about or something that stuck out from that. And that will stand as these clues for one another about how we lean into hope. Um, and so, yeah, if somebody, Kenzie's got a mic and we're going to try it again. I put a fresh battery in it. If it pops, just turn it off and we'll trust the spirit can amplify voices. But coming over here, who wants to do the reading part? Kenzie would love to give you a microphone. Just flip it up. Glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There's a part two to the question. We said it helps to know that Jesus has experienced similar things and that we're in good company with the prophets. Yeah. It still is really hard. Yeah, no part of it said it was easy. <laughs> yeah. That was not a... That was not part of the label, right? Right. It's, it's, it can be difficult, and it takes, like, Jesus went through it, and it wasn't easy. When we look at Jesus' life, we don't see that it was easy. Did you do something else you wanted to say? I don't want to cut you off. Go ahead. No, you no? can finish your thought. All right. I was just going to say, to recognize that Jesus went through it, I think there's another little hint in there, too, like when he says, like, the eternality dimension right. to that. What, can you read that part again for me? I don't have it open to it. Which one? Uh, your reward. Uh, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There will be a dimension of this that is eternal in nature. That it doesn't mean that just because Jesus says he will, like there won't be any sorrow or meaning will be brought into it or we'll find it will make sense or any of those pieces. That's not what we're looking for in the instantaneous. He's saying great is your reward in the age to come. There's, there's an age still to come and an awareness that I think we've lost a lot in our day is that there's an eternality to this picture. That our lives are finite, uh, this go-round, but there is an infinite, a continuing on, an everlasting life in which we experience life with God in a restored creation. And so there's, there's a future dimension to the promise that's meant to fill us with hope and joy right now, even if the circumstances are brutal. And I think connected to that, it's, part of it is the reward is in heaven, or the war, reward lies ahead, right? But Part of that reward is also that, that God promises to bring justice and, mm -hmm. and truth. And so when people speak falsely against us, um, that's not going to stand forever. Yeah. And that can be really comforting as well. Yeah. Yeah, that falls right after the Beatitudes in case, because we didn't read the whole chunk. 
Uh, next section, you guys had Acts 13, 50 to 52. Can somebody read it, and then somebody else can maybe give commentary to it? Do you want to read it, Owen? You can read it. Great job, team one. But the Jews incited the devout woman of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. Great job, you got a little bit more. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Nailed it. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. that. had a lot of big words in it. As you guys read through that, you had four different pockets looking through that. Um, one of the other crews, what did you notice about that that might be a hint or a clue towards how we maintain or sustain joy through dire and difficult circumstances? Mike's got an answer, Ken's. Uh, I mean, I think the big thing uh, is that we are gifted with the Holy Spirit. Like the Holy Spirit is with us in the hard. And then something else that we were kind of talking about and chewing on is even sometimes we can avoid the hard and kind of check out. But these guys were actually filled with joy in the Holy Spirit, like after they went through the tough circumstance. And so sometimes I think when we don't opt out, but we do actually press into the hard and the difficult, uh, that just creates more dependence and reliance upon the spirit. And I think as a result, we can get greater joy. Is that a... That's great. I appreciate it. Well done. Ken's got you, Ken's. This is Hebrews. <clears throat> Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of witness, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sins so easily entangles the things, <clears throat> and let us run with the perseverance, the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That's good. Thanks, Ken. Does somebody from that crew maybe want to give voice to one of the observations you had out of that text? Right. There are a lot of things, even in Ken reading it again, I'm like, there are like 10. Um, yeah. But like throwing off like the things that entangle helps with sustaining joy. It's like the things that are in our control to be intentional about throwing those things off and away. Okay. Um, and then the big one that we talked about was um, turning our attention back to Jesus. Um, like speaking we talked a lot about like speaking truth mm -hmm. um 
in those uh, circumstances, knowing that similar to what you shared, Joe, like the um, Jesus has been through that as well. Um, yeah, so a lot of fixing our attention, consider Jesus, put your attention on Jesus. That was repeated a few times. In yeah. those. It's good. I'm glad you picked up on that. Um, the And then the last verse that's on there that we're not going to go through just says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control against those kind of things. There's no law. So it's a fruit. Joy is a fruit that comes out of spending time and being present with the spirit. And so all those things woven together, uh, you're about to get a very quick succession of practices that we can look at. I'll mail this out. So don't feel like you got to take photos of every single one, though. If you want to do that, you're welcome to. Um, Here's a few things for us as we look at how do we do this then? Uh, that was the Bible. That was observations, implications. You guys did a great job of preaching to each other and just saying, here's a simple clue for how we lean into this. But weaving it together, what if instead of comparing ourselves to others, we consider the work of Jesus on our behalf? So thinking, what about instead of that, that moment where we're like, yeah, if only I had, if only I had, if only God had given me, if only, rather than that, uh, looking and realizing everything that Jesus has already done for us. Like when you feel that welling up in your own heart to read Ephesians 1 and 2 again, as we've been sitting in that and be like, oh yeah, that's what Jesus has done from death to life. He's restored, he's reconciled, he's redeemed. He's taken me who had no home and given me a home without a people. Now I have a people. And having some of these texts on tap in our brain that when we feel that urge to compare ourselves and be like, yeah, God hasn't done enough for me. He hasn't done as much for me if he would only do this for me. If only I had this group of friends, or if I had this experience, or if I had this, then I would be able to. And instead of finding that comparison thief, robbing that away, instead we consider all that Christ has already done. The fact that he took our sin with him to the cross and paid the penalty for it, in and of itself, is enough that we get washed away in grace. But that's not all he's done. Uh, even looking at Psalm 103, when you feel that need to compare, it says to remind our own souls to consider God and all the benefits of the salvation he's given us. And there are plenty. And that's a direct orientation of our heart and our mind on purpose, recognizing what is true already and what Jesus will do one day. We will live with joy when we lean into this practice. Secondly, what if instead of never-ending consuming, we considered how we can participate in cultivating with Jesus? So in the moments where we want to just tune in and tone out, when we say, I just need to look and watch a good three hours of Netflix, then I'll be good. Or we find ourselves endlessly scrolling on our preferred device and recognizing that maybe this isn't actually going to lead me the direction I want to go. But in that moment, finding the ability to turn and recognize, oh, humans were created not just to consume, but to cultivate, to co-create with Jesus. What if we had something in our brain that we flipped the switch and said, oh, this is a moment for me to consider. How do I bring beauty or truth or love in this world? So I'm on my phone. Instead of scrolling, what if I texted a friend and said, hey, here's something I noticed about Jesus in you. And in that moment, sparking them, you're already on your device, right? I'm not telling you phones are evil. But what we do with them are really distracting and rob our joy. What if we said, I feel like I've just been already mindlessly indulging in something or finding and thinking something that I bring out from in will make me whole. 
What if we just use that as a prompt in our own hearts? Oh, I'm feeling that way again. And I don't feel more joyful as a result of that. What if I worked with Jesus and what he's up to in the world and cultivated beauty in some way in this moment? Uh, What if instead of complaining, we considered the source of life, God's own spirit at work in us? And so when we want to give voice and say, God, you are not enough, what if in that moment when we're in a husband and wife or boyfriend or girlfriend or roommate situation and one of us wants to complain rather than just saying, oh, that's probably healthy, I'll just let you complain, and then the other person starts to complain, and then all of a sudden you're cycling down. This happens in missional communities, it happens in family systems, it happens in roommates, it happens in our own brain. What if we had a stop that was in place and said, no, I'm not going to cycle continue the cycle of complaining and acting as if God is not enough, but recognize the source of life, God himself is at work in me. How has that changed me? What do I have? Gratitude works in a great way to bring joy. What has God already given me? What is at work because his spirit is at work? And lean into that, paying attention to what the spirit's doing. In one way, putting away, uh, listen very simply, The personal rhythm of putting away your phone will go a long way in helping curate a life of joy. If we lived in a different time, it would be a different thing. In our time, the advent of the phone has eclipsed for many of us the advent of Jesus in this season. And so what if we said, I'm just going to put that away so I can lean in with joy to what's present in front of me and what God's up to. I'd encourage to press into the people of God. The community of God is a primary environment where lives of joy are nourished. And that's not a byproduct. That's been the same way from the garden and will be that way all the way through to new creation. That's not just on Sundays, but it's in the everyday. And so what do we do with this? This is where we're gonna land tonight. I encourage you to receive right now the good news that Jesus has given you everything you need that his salvation is enough to rescue and restore, that his provision is enough for you to flourish, that his presence with you is enough for you to have joy right now, even in the face of the most dire circumstances, that in his first coming, his life, his death, and his resurrection, we were reminded that that advent, that coming, is good news of great joy for all people.